Kiana, and I'd like to welcome you to Toronto Nature Now, brought to you by Met Radio in Toronto and the Toronto Field Naturalists. The Toronto Field Naturalists are a volunteer-run, non-profit nature conservation organization, connecting people with nature and wildlife in the Toronto area. Today, I'd like to welcome back our friend of the show, Jonathan Harris, who's here to talk about Norway maple trees. Jonathan is a former environmental consultant, arborist, and TFN hike leader, who now resides in the near north of Ontario. Jonathan left the GTA to pursue a career in lifestyle, farming, and living off the land in the wilds of Commanda, about 45 minutes south of North Bay. Here's what Jonathan had to say. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. And today we're going to talk about the Norway maple trees. And so my first question is, is that I'm guessing it says it all in the name, but this maple tree is from Norway and not native to Toronto. Yeah, that's correct. It's a, it's a deciduous tree that's actually the most widespread native maple tree in Europe and has a natural distribution range from Central Europe to Western Asia, actually. Uh, which was roughly the border between Spain and France to the west, like the, the Spain-France border, to central, central Russia in the east, and from Greece and northern Turkey in the south of its range to southern Norway and Sweden to the north of its range. Now, despite the name, <laughs> while indeed it's found in the wilds of Norway, it has actually nothing to do with this country that's known for Vikings. The species, also known by its scientific name, Acer Platanoites likely originated in Central and Eastern Europe. Now, it's been theorized that the Norway maple actually got its name because it was introduced to Western Europe and Britain via Norway in the 17th century. Now, at the time, in that, that time period, Norway was an important center for traded forestry products. And one theory is that the tree found its way to Norway from Eastern Europe for that reason. That's so cool. It seems like a very well-traveled tree. <laughs> and so how did the Norway maple end up being planted in Toronto? Yeah, well the, well, the tree was first introduced to North America in the mid-1700s from Eurasia as an ornamental tree. I couldn't find anything specifically when it was uh, first used in Toronto gardens and, and uh, yards. So roughly probably the mid to early 1800s, but likely again in Toronto as an, urban, as an ornamental tree. And one of the reasons for this is that it's actually a very hardy tree thrives much better than our native maples in our harsh urban conditions. Municipal forestry departments across North America actually purposely planted Norway maple for decades because the species tolerates concrete, soil compaction, pollution, salt, and other harsh realities of urban life, which a lot of our native trees can't really thrive in. And now the use of Norway maple as a street and urban tree, it seemed to coincide with the demise of the American or white element in the late 40s due to Dutch elm disease. So when the Dutch elm started killing a lot of the, the elm trees, which were widespread throughout the city of Toronto and other North American cities, uh, they started trying to find replacements and one of those was Norway maple. Now in Canada, it's found throughout the country right from southern British Columbia, right across to southern Ontario and east Newfoundland. It's a super common urban tree, and it's also still widely available from, uh, from nurseries. You mentioned that it thrives much better than native maples, and has that presented a problem? Yes, well, well, Norway maple in the past has been planted with the intention of being ornamental. It has um, 
hand like finger quotations here, has, it has escaped and uh, proliferated in our native natural ecosystem areas via seed dispersal. So this tree grows in dense stands once it, uh, it once its seed stock has has entered an, a, a native ecosystem, and this ends up suppressing native tree seedlings due to the shading out um, because it, it grows so prolifically that it shades other species due to it leafing out earlier than in the spring than other native trees and native plants. And it also drops its leaves later in the fall. So this gives Norway maple a longer growing season compared to our native species. It's also very shade tolerant, making it easier to establish in the understory of existing forests before taking over as a dominant species. Now, it has, a, it has a, a shallow root system, preventing native tree seedlings from establishing in addition to its leaves that release toxins that affect soil, fungi, and microbes. And unfortunately, uh, in Toronto and other urban areas, there are some ravines and natural areas that are almost exclusively Norway maple now. Another big factor or, or problems with it, not necessarily with competition with native plants, but this tree doesn't host a large number of native caterpillar species, uh, which is actually one of the reasons I found was, was why it was considered as an urban species in landscaping. Um, if there aren't a lot of native caterpillars that want to, to uh, eat its leaves, that means less you know, bugs for people. So they, if the tree has less insects and bugs, then that was one of the factors why people wanted to plant it. Uh, the, the leaves of the Norway maple are actually a little more, a lot more waxy than our native maples. This means that less caterpillars, and in turn, this means less bird activity because um, with less caterpillars means less food sources for our native birds. So they have less to forage for their young. So in areas where there's an abundance of Norway maple, you actually have not only less insect activity, but less bird activity. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I never really thought about native caterpillars or bird activity. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I would highly recommend listeners um, look up any talks by Professor Doug Tallamy. He uh, really speaks to the use of native plants because of the difference in food availability for a native bird population, because non-native invasive species don't host nearly the number of caterpillars that not that our native species do. Like a, a native oak tree, I think, has a record of something of over 200 caterpillar species you can host versus a, a nori maple, which is maybe only a couple. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And so you talked about the differences in Norway maples and native maples, but how can listeners distinguish a Norway maple from a native sugar maple? Yeah. Um, yeah. First glance, sometimes they can seem pretty similar in appearance. Now, Norway maples, they're large deciduous trees that usually grow to 12 to 18 meters or 40 to 60 feet tall with a very wide spreading crown. Now, the leaves are your typical maple shape uh, and are usually dark green, especially in the areas where um, they've encroached in natural areas and established a population uh, with you know various ornamental species or various cultivars. Uh, so Norway maple, you can get the dark green, but you can also get variegated leaves, which are green tan color or crimson king, which is a dark purple almost. And now one key ID feature that really helps to distinguish it from a native maple tree is that the leaf stems, excuse a, um, a, a milky sap when broken, 
unlike our native uh, maple trees, where if you break a, a leaf stem, it's just a clear sap liquid. Uh, another key feature, which is only obvious when the, the, the seeds or helicopter seeds are, are present, they're flattened seeds occurring in pairs with widely spreading wings, which is similar to native maples, but they're much wider and spread out when compared to a native, say, a native sugar maple where the wings are much more straight down. Now, of course, to those with, without extensive tree identification skills, Nori maple it can be easily confused with several other species, including our native sugar or red maples. Uh, personal anecdote, growing up my own family, we bought a Crimson King Norway maple from a nursery and were mis misled by the nursery staff that it was a, red, a native red maple. And it was only years later after I become, became skilled in tree identification and was back home one time that I realized it was a Norway maple all along. So it's quite easy to, to someone without tree identification to, to mistake a Norway maple for a native, a native maple tree. And there's actually many examples of this. So even in branding, in our own currency in Canada, there have been errors in using a Norway maple leaf instead of a native maple. Now, quite famously, uh, a recent example is the newer polymer banknotes that we all use. Uh, they have what appear to be a stylized Norway maple leaf instead of a native maple, uh, which is typically would be a sugar maple leaf that would be used. Um, the, Bank of Canada said it was on purpose and it's actually a stylized sugar maple leaf, <laughs> but a lot of botanists are looking at it and suspicious that it was a, a mistake and it was a Norway maple. Uh, Canada Post has also featured Norway maple leaves on its stamps, Moosehead, uh, the lager, the beer brewed in St. John, uh, trumpets, um, the trumpets on its beer cases, let's say founded in 1867, we were born in Canada with and below it has a drawing of what can only be viewed as a Norway maple leaf. Oh no, <laughs> that's kind of funny, but also unfortunate. It's, an, it's unfortunate. Yeah, there's a great a great article which I found on on the internet by I think it was the Globe and Mail, and it was all about the the various mistakes where people have actually used a Norway maple leaf instead of a, a native sugar maple or red maple leaf. I think it should be taught more if it's getting confused this often. For sure. All right. And so my last question is, can you tap Norway maples for sap to make maple syrup? Yes, actually you can. Now the sugar content of a Norway maple is lower than our native sugar maple, which is the most common maple tree tapped for maple syrup. Now for a sugar maple, it takes 40 liters of sap to make one liter of syrup. Um, unlike tapping a Norway maple, which can take upwards of 60 liters to make one liter of syrup, which is still better than, say, tapping a birch tree, which takes upwards of 120 liters to make one liter of syrup. Now, you do have to keep an eye uh, on the trees, as Norway maple would need to be tapped earlier, actually, than a sugar maple, since they, they, are no, they, they, they bud earlier, they leaf out earlier than a sugar maple would. So once the trees leaf out or start to form their buds, the sap starts, stops running, folks would just have to tap it earlier. And I guess that maybe would be in February, like usually sugar maples are late February, March, totally dependent on the year and temperatures. That's interesting. So would Norway maple syrup be more bitter? No, it, it would still, I've never had it myself though. I I've just have read notes and articles from different people that have done it. And since it does have sugar content, it tastes sweet and similar to maple syrup produced from sugar maple. It's just, it takes a lot more sap to do it. Uh, that makes sense. So that's all I have to ask, but is there anything else you want to add? 
Yeah, actually, I, I just want to make a note maybe on um, what listeners may be able to do if they come across Nori Maple um, in terms of uh, controlling it or even preventing its spread because it is it is a it can be a very nasty invasive species once it establishes. Uh, like I said, there are ravines in Toronto that are almost exclusively Nori Maple, and there's a lot of good folks working uh, volunteering to try and re remediate a lot of those areas through removal practices. Now, I, I would recommend listeners if they are in a situation where they need to control Norway maple, there's a wonderful publication by the Ontario Invasive Species Council. It's the best management practices in Ontario for controlling Norway maple. And development of the document actually has had funding provided by the City of Toronto and the Region of New York, two municipalities in the greater Toronto area, which are probably the most heavily impacted by the spread of Norway maple. Now, this document provides in much more detail how to control Norway maple, such as girdling trunks, pulling out, cutting it, uh, solarizing seedlings, and uh, cutting trunks, and at worst case, herbicide application, which is always a kind of a last resort when it comes to controlling invasive species. But sometimes it, that is the only means to actually reduce a population to a point where it's able to be controlled. Now, that's the side of controlling it and reducing populations that have already established. Um, with any invasive species though, I'd say number one is education of the public. And in this case, the nursery industry, uh, because this is key to reducing the establishment or establishment of Norway maple, if it's still available to be bought and planted, then there's always gonna be the chance for it to continually spread into natural areas and native ecosystems. Informing people what Norway maple is and maybe even banning it from nurseries that can help populations from even starting. Um, municipalities such as the city of Toronto are actually quite good now at um, pushing native plant, native species and native plantings. Uh, they no longer plant Norway maple as street trees. And a lot of them are requiring developments to plant only native plants and obviously encouraging homeowners to plant native trees. Uh, um, we're at a a point now where a good majority of those intentionally planted urban Norway maples are reaching their end of their lives. Uh, like I said, a lot of planting seemed to coincide with the, the 1940s and the American elm had started to die back. So a lot of those trees are nearing the end of their life. And it provi provides an opportunity to, well, you know, once those large trees and seed sources are removed from the, the landscape, native plants, native species can be put in their place. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, hey, you're welcome. Thanks again to Jonathan Harris for talking with me today. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Anyone out there who'd like to get involved with the Toronto Field Naturalists can visit their website at torontofieldnaturalists.org. Again, that's torontofieldnaturalists.org. Shout out to Paul Overy, the show coordinator, and once again, I'm Kiana from Met Radio, and this has been Toronto Nature Now. Make sure to tune in next time. 